Lord, thanks for your goodness, and thanks for your love and your grace and your mercy, and thanks for your word. Uh, and Lord, we just want to hear from you today, so please speak to our hearts and have your way with us, Lord. Lord, we, we desire, we desire that you would conform us into the image of Jesus, Romans chapter 8, and that we know that in order to do that, we have to know your word. And so, Lord, please, please teach us your word by your spirit and cause it to change our lives uh, to look more like Jesus. And, Lord, that's a lot to ask. Uh, but you can do it, and only you can do it. And so please do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn, if you would, to Hosea chapter 9. It's in the Old Testament. It's after Psalms and before Matthew. And as you get closer, it's after Daniel and before Amos, or Joel, I'm sorry. Hosea chapter 9. Lord willing, we're going to read 9, 10, and 11 today. Um, and uh, we pick up a theme that we've been on for the last couple of weeks uh, that really uh, went from chapter 4 through 10, uh, which is sort of a courtroom scene, if you will, uh, whereby God is picturing the nation of Israel, and this is specifically the northern kingdom of Israel, um, and uh, he's bringing charges against them uh, for their spiritual uh, adultery that basically they've committed. It's sort of like God is the, is the husband and the, and the nation of Israel was the bride, and, and this bride has, has committed adultery. And God's been painting this picture um, just to sort of back up for some background. Um, if you haven't been with us or uh, whatever, um, after the time of King Solomon, you recall the northern kingdom of Israel, the nation was split. The northern kingdom we call Israel. The southern kingdom we call Judah. The northern kingdom was horribly wicked. The southern kingdom of Judah was a little less wicked with some reprieves of revival in there. So God uh, had a little, um, uh, they had a little longer duration, if you will, of 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 history, but the northern kingdom of Israel was uh, basically conquered and displaced by the Assyrian Empire in 722 BC. And so the prophet Hosea uh, was called by God to, to basically speak warning to these people because of God's great love. God, in his justice, has to bring judgment uh, in the form of punishment and often chastening, as he does sometimes even with us. But um, as a picture of that, sometimes the prophets, you may recall, had to sort of live out their, their ministry, their prophecy, and um, uh, so Hosea was no different. Uh, God told Hosea to take a wife who was a harlot, and so he found this uh, harlot, married her, uh, after they were married, and he in a sense, rescued her from that lifestyle and, and showed her a better life, she still committed adultery. And uh, so much so that she, that he had to, that she literally uh, found herself in the slave market and Hosea had to go and actually buy her back from slavery. After, so he's, you know, this is kind of a repetitive thing, right? Sin is often a repetitive thing, right? And so the rebellion of the nation of Israel is kind of, a, is kind of pictured by this uh, relationship that Hosea has with, um, with his uh, wife. And for sure, uh, Hosea would have been sympathetic to the heart of God a little more clearly, a little more tangibly by having gone through this experience. And so often, uh, God allows us to, uh, you know, hopefully we don't have to go through that, right? Um, but God does allow us to go through things so we can live out the ministry that he's called us to live out. And uh, sometimes, you know, you may think that God's left you high and dry sometimes because you're going through a hard time. I would encourage you to read 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It says God allows us to go through things and he comforts us through those things. Number one, so we can be comforted. Number two, because we're going to have an opportunity to comfort others. Isn't that how life works? 
right? If you lose a loved one and you're, you're grieving over that or something like that, you take comfort by, knowing, by talking to somebody who's kind of been through that and been through it in a healthy way. Not necessarily an unhealthy way, but, you know, and so as we go through things, God sometimes allows those things so we can uh, minister to others. And so that's kind of what's going on here. In the midst of it, in these chapters 4 through 10, God is painting this courtroom scene. He's kind of bringing the charges. He's, he's kind of the prosecuting attorney as well as the judge. And so he's bringing these, these charges, uh, and he's been doing it kind of from 4 t- through chapter 8. In chapter 9 and 10, he's going to kind of move into a little bit more the consequence, what's going to happen as a result of this. Not that he's going to cast them off and be done with them and say, you guys are not my children anymore, I'm done with you. But more like, um, you know, there's going to be, pr- there's going to be some punishment. And there's going to be some uh, opportunity for repentance, but, but judgment is coming. And then chapter 11, uh, to the end of the book, we'll, start, we'll do chapter 11 today, but till the end of the book, we start to see a little more of, of God's grace and mercy in the midst of all this. So, with that, chapter 9, verse 1. Do not rejoice, O Israel, with joy like other peoples, for you've played the harlot against your God. You've made love for hire on every threshing floor. The threshing floor and the wine press shall not feed them, and the new wine shall fail in her. Now, the threshing floor and the wine press, those are places of harvest, right? That's where, you know, the wine press is where you bring the grapes and process it uh, for a harvest. The threshing floor is where you bring the, the grain, and you... Uh, do whatever it is you do with grain to make it a finished product, right? How's that? Is that good? You trust me, I'm a farmer, right? The threshing floor is where you bring that grain stuff, right, and do something to it, and now it's what you want. Uh, so anyway, um, but, you know, these people, they had these, you know, the, the, the harvest implies abundance. It, apply, it implies blessing. I was talking to a farmer one time. He says, you know, this is the time of year. is like in October. He says, this is the time of year. We harvest the grain. We go to the processor. And we all sit around and count the money. Right? And in his mind, this is a good time of year. Right? And so, you know, not that it's all about the money, but it's just a picture of God's provision, of God's blessing, God's favor. And these people were using the threshing floor and the wine press as a place of uh, their idolatry. That's where they were, uh, instead of thanking God for what he brought, they're using it to celebrate these, these false idols and all this uh, paganism and all this just wickedness. And you know, God's going to bring a chastening of the harvest to these people. It's important to notice that when we are blessed, whatever it is, and I'm so sorry that our culture, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, Can I apologize on the behalf of churches everywhere that should apologize that we have equated blessing with dollars and cents, right? What could be more blasphemous? I mean, do we need to eat and sleep and pay the rent? Yeah, we need to eat and sleep and pay the rent. So it'd be good to have a house and a bed and, you know, a rent payment, right? A mortgage payment, a whatever payment, right? You know, in our modern day, it's probably okay to have an automobile, right? Probably okay to have a latest version of an iPhone, right? Just kidding. Uh, but, you know, we have, to prov- we have to live, and so God brings provision, but we are sadly mistaken when we equate blessing with that. Now, having said that, part of how God blesses his children, part of how God sometimes blesses his children is with provision, okay? That's not weird. doesn't have to be weird, but it's just a thing. But notice this. That and all of other God's blessings, we need to keep in mind. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from where? Above. And comes down from the Father of lights. If you have some blessing in your life, whether it's material or relational or whatever like that, that came from God. And we need to acknowledge that it came from God. It didn't come from my own strength or my own wisdom or my own this or my own, you know, anything. It came from God. So whatever we have that that 
is a blessing that we might consider a blessing, we need to to acknowledge that from God and honor God accordingly. So these people, they had these, these threshing floors, the wine presses, the place of, of provision. They weren't acknowledging God. They weren't honoring God. They were actually honoring uh, their pagan idols through that. Verse 3, they shall not dwell in the Lord's land, but Ephraim shall return to Egypt and shall eat unclean things in Assyria. So uh, again, we've mentioned this before just for clarity. Ephraim was the most prominent tribe in the northern kingdom of Israel. So this word Ephraim is often used interchangeably with Israel, with the northern kingdom of Israel. So when you see Ephraim, it's not just exclusively that one bit of the northern kingdom. It's sort of a representative piece uh, uh, talking about the entire northern kingdom. So they're not going to return to Egypt. You know, Egypt is where where the nation uh, arose from. Uh, I'm sorry, they shall return to Egypt. It's where they came from, but they're going to primarily go to Assyria. Uh, The Assyrians are going to scatter them. Uh, They're going to come in. They're going to bring their their military might, and they're going to scatter the nation of of the northern kingdom of Israel. Some of them are going to flee to Egypt. That's where the Jewish people always seem to turn for uh, for worldly strength. But the point is they're not going to dwell in the Lord's land. Can you notice this? The Lord's land. Where do we live today? You live on your house? You live in your house? Well, sort of. Might be owned by you, might be owned by you and the bank, might be owned by whatever, but really, it's the Lord's land. They shall not dwell in the Lord's land. I like the idea that, you know, we we see that description in the in the in the scripture that Abraham was a pilgrim right he always dwelt in tents and you know we dwell in fancy tents but we would do well to think of them as tents on God's land we're renters we're not owners we're renters it's God's land Everything we have is God's. We're just stewards of it. Verse 4. They shall not offer wine offerings to the Lord, nor shall their sacrifices be pleasing to Him. It shall be like the bread of mourners. All who eat of it, eat it shall be defiled, for their bread shall be for their own life. It shall not come into the house of the Lord. What will you do in the appointed day? that be in the feast days, and in the day of the feast of the Lord. So you have to understand and... and if you like this, uh, then great. If you don't, bear with me. But a lot of, these, a lot of what we're going to cover in these, these chapters particularly is sort of a review of the Jewish culture, sort of a review of the Jewish history, of their biblical history, of our Old Testament history. And so, uh, but I love that God kind of pulls this together, right? Why does God give us the Bible? So we can look back and learn from the lessons of our predecessors, right? And they were no different. So they had predecessors that were, you know, to the left of what we're reading here in the Bible, right? And so they had that. We have that. We get to learn from that. They got to learn from that. They at least had opportunity to learn from that. And so God's just going to remind them of some of those things. He's like, you know, by the way, uh, one of the things in the Old Testament law was they had to have these Jewish feasts. And so they're mixing together the Jewish feasts and their pagan worship and and, you know, a little bit of the God of the Bible and a little bit of Baal and, and Molech and all these other uh, false gods and, and these, this uh, sort of uh, obsession with sensuality and this obsession with uh, idolatry and all this kind of stuff. Oh, and by the way, uh, the Jewish holidays, right? And God's like, you know, that, that feast day, right? That appointed day, the, the Jewish holidays, don't bring your bread for that, right? That's the, I'm not interested in being, being mixed in with all that other stuff. Verse 6, for indeed they are gone because of destruction. Egypt shall gather them up. Memphis shall bury them. Nettles shall possess their valuables of silver. Thorns shall be in their tents. Now, Memphis was a city in Egypt. It's not... Uh, it was before Elvis. So uh, Memphis was a city in Egypt. I had to do that. I, had, I couldn't resist. just came out. 
So uh, Memphis was a city in Egypt. Uh, basically, the, the land is going to be desolate is the bottom line, right? There's going to be thorns and briars. It's just going to be desolate and abandoned. It's going to be a sad place. You know, at one time, it was described as the land of milk and honey. You ever notice that? At one time, spies went in there and said, oh, my goodness, you can't believe this land. It's lush. It's lush. But there's giants there. We can't take it. And then they kind of, you know, and, and basically there's all this description throughout all the Old Testament that this land was so, you know, there's something about that land. Even today, there is something about that land. Prophetically, there's something about that land. It's a crossroads of three continents, right? And even geographically, and the, the, there's the, uh, within the nation, uh, it's a crossroads. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's amazing. And yet, for a time, for a time of, of chastening, it's going to be desolate. Verse 7, the days of punishment have come. The days of recompense have come. Israel knows. The prophet is a fool. God's speaking sarcastically here. Remember when he told Job, he said, hey, Job, remember at the end, after Job's been ranting for, Job and his friends have been ranting for 30-some chapters uh, about their own perception of theology and who God is, and then at the end, God, you know, opens up and speaks and says, by the way, where were you when, like, I created the world? You know. You know. Come on, Job. So what, what about the, uh, the behemoth? And the Leviathan, you know, the great sea creature and, and uh, the dinosaur. I'll just say it out loud. The dinosaur. And, 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 you know, where were you when I created all that, right? You know. And so he's saying kind of the same kind of thing here. Israel knows. The prophet is a fool. The spiritual man is insane because of the greatness of your iniquity and your enmity. And so God is truly being here sarcastic. So the day of punishment is coming. He says, hey, Israel knows everything. The prophet, the prophet, he's a fool. Hosea, he's a fool. Israel knows everything. Sinful Israel knows everything. The spiritual man, he's insane. God's saying, you guys have your idea of, catch this now. God says, you guys have your idea of who's wise and who's crazy fundamentally backwards. Fast forward, 2023, America. How are Christians depicted in the news? They're nuts. You guys are nuts. All you believe is those crazy conspiracy theories. Right? I won't even start to tell you which ones are true and which ones aren't. Because you're crazy, right? The secular people are the smart ones, right? Okay, I'll say it. It's crazy that this is controversial. It's crazy I have to pause for five seconds before deciding if I want to say this. I've said it before, so it's already on tape. We live in a world where smart people say, follow the science, man. And, and I can decide whether I'm a boy or a girl at the age of like 10. Would you want to be, apart from that whole issue, would you want to be accountable for every decision you made when you were 10? 20? 60? I certainly don't want to be accountable for every decision I made as a child. Permanently. Right? Now, I'm a doctor. All right? Human beings are born with, anybody in the room, how many, how many chromosomes do you have in every cell? 
You have 46 chromosomes. I lost anybody? Okay. 23 pairs. Okay, if, I haven't lo if I've lost you, ask your mother. 23 pairs. Okay. One of those pairs, you either have an X and a Y. I mean, apart, some, some, there are some genetic exceptions, but bear with me. You're either, born, you're either born with an X and a Y, or you're born with an X and an X. Have I lost anybody yet? I've lost all of society. I've lost a Supreme Court justice who can't answer the question, what's a woman? See, because I would say, because since I haven't lost you guys, and you would say it too, a woman is a person who's born with an X and an X and then grows up, we call her a girl, but then she grows up and becomes a woman. Right? See, Israel knows the prophet's a fool. The spiritual man is insane. I'm crazy because of what I just said. Do we have it backwards? We have it backwards. Do we need to stand up and tell the truth? Yes, we need to stand up and tell the truth. How will they know if we don't tell the truth? Right? And I want to say it as lovingly as I can. I want to say it as graciously as I can. There's a world that's confused out there. And they're confused partly because there's a, an agenda with media and, and others to confuse us. Right? We can't define, you know, it started in the 80s, whatever. We couldn't define family. Couldn't define the word family. And now we can't even define the words male and female. Are we messed up? Yeah. Was the nation of Israel messed up? Does that mean God said, forget it, you guys are so far gone, you're, you're pathetic, you're, you're, I'm done? No. No. God's grace is always there. God's grace is always there. Our wisdom must come. Please catch this now. Our wisdom must come from God and His Word. From God and His Word. His Word says, we read it on Wednesday night, His Word says this, all Scripture, how much? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped. How much equipped? Thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's an absolute true statement. All. What does all mean? All. Thoroughly. What does thoroughly mean? Thoroughly. Equipped for every good work. What does every mean? Does it mean 99%? No, it means every. So the Scripture is our source of absolute truth, and God is the source of wisdom that helps us discern absolute truth. And those two things together tell us right and wrong and teach us how to navigate this life. And let me just tell you, church, the moment we depart one degree from that is the moment we're on shaky ground. Because everything in that one degree is nonsense. It's agenda-driven. And it can be in the media. It can be so subtle. Some of you have heard me go off on this before years ago. I was thinking about Pride and Prejudice because I said it earlier. And anyway, raise your hand if you've ever seen Pride and Prejudice. Let's all at the same time say, aw. Aw. Um, there are two idiots in that movie. Check this now. There are two idiots in that movie. Who are they? Somebody have you seen it? Name one of them. The mother. Somebody say the mother. She's an idiot. All due respect. She's an actor. It, it was a, it's a fictitious story, so I'm okay saying that. She was an idiot. Who else was the idiot? Mr. 
Collins. Haven't seen it in a while, have you? <laughs> Who's Mr. Collins? He's a pastor. Who's the heroine? The source of all wisdom. With all due respect to young ladies. The young girl who learned all this apparently in a vacuum because her parents are idiots. Her, well, her mom's an idiot. Her dad's passive and might as well not even be breathing. And the pastor's an idiot. And she somehow has come across this enlightening way to navigate life, right? Is that an accident? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. How many of our movies depict a healthy, God-honoring family? With a male adult married to a female adult? And they have a, what appears to be the kind of family that, we're supposed to, that we see described as a model in the Bible. How often do we see that? Honestly? This, I mean, you do what you want. This is the reason we don't own a television and haven't for many years, right? But we're still vulnerable, right? We still have a news feed, right? Anyway. Israel knows. They're so smart. Our world knows. They're so smart. The prophet's a fool. I'm not claiming to be a prophet, but I'm supposed to be a fool. The, the spiritual man is insane. We're supposed to be insane, right? Please know that's, that's where we're at in our society. The watchman of Ephraim, here's God's correction. The watchman of Ephraim is with my God, the, but the prophet is a fowler's snare in all his ways, enmity in the house of his God. And so what do we see here? we see that the, that the watchman, the watchman was a picture, you may recall, from Ezekiel. God called Ezekiel a watchman of the nation of Israel. The watchman was the guy that stood up on this high tower and looked for the enemy to come, right? If the enemy's coming, the watchman's the one that says, hey, the enemy's coming. And when the watchman says, and it, like, you know, anybody that teaches God's word is acting sort of as a watchman, right? If I'm supposed to say, hey, there's cultural enemy coming, right? Then you do with it what you want. Right? What's Ezekiel tell us? And God said, Ezekiel, you're the watchman. You, you're, you're responsible to deliver my message. If they receive it, great. If they don't, that's on them. But if you don't deliver that, it's on you. Right? And so, you know, the watchman is with God. The prophet is a fowler snare in all his ways. Enmity in the house of God. The prophet is going to sort of catch the, catch, him, catch the people in judgment with a snare. He says, they are deeply corrupted, as in the days of Gibeah. He will remember their iniquity. He will punish their sins. Now, again, this is a, a and we're going to read this twice today, this story. This, uh, or not the story, but a reference to the story. The story refers back to Judges chapter 19. Uh, the, the, the men of the, of, the, of the area of, that was called Gibeah in the book of Judges. Now, I mentioned a week or two ago, the book of Judges was hallmarked by the very last verse, which was kind of repeated through the, through the book. Uh, it says, that, that was repeated, said, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And today, <clears throat> we have a president, we have a governmental system, you know, all of that. But we really don't have a spiritual king in our culture today. Is that fair? Everyone does what's what? right in their own eyes. That should be concerning to us. Why? Because we have the historical example of what happens in those times. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And as you read this story, you see this pattern of the nation of Israel, they get fat and sassy, right? Much like we have a tendency to do. They get fat and sassy and they forget about God and then God brings punishment and then they cry out to God and then God brings a deliverer and they're all happy again but then they get fat and sassy again and the whole cycle repeats. But every time the cycle repeats the depravity gets a little bit worse. And as you read through the book of Judges by the time you get to chapter 19 of the book of Judges you'd say, oh my goodness, I can't believe human beings are capable 
of doing this to each other. And that's, I won't tell you, I mean, it's, it's frankly too graphic uh, to go into in this context. But it's a graphic story of some men from the tribe of, it, of Benjamin in the area of Gibeah. They commit this hor horrific uh, crime. And the people of the tribe of Benjamin, who were supposed to sort of administer justice, failed to do so. They failed to, to hold these guys accountable. And so the rest of the nation of Israel went to battle against the men of, Gib of Benjamin because they failed to hold these wicked men from their own tribe accountable. So you have this sort of governmental layer, if you will. And so the, the nation starts to fight off the, the, nation of, uh, the tribe of Benjamin to the point that the tribe of Benjamin almost got eliminated. And so what's God saying here? All that to say is God is bringing them back to their, to their historical mindset that that was a horrible time. And he's saying, so is this time right now. So is this time right now. This time is horrible. This is, they are deeply, the times that we're, that we're living in now, Hosea would say, are deeply corrupted. The, the, the people are deeply corrupted as in the days of Gibeah, like it was back in Judges chapter 19. It's that bad. And God cannot ignore it. God says, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first fruits on the fig tree in its first season. But they went to Baal Peor and separated themselves to that shame. They became an abomination like the thing they loved. Again, again, a bit of Israel's history. Again, a relevant application for us today in our, in our world, right? The men of Baal Peor. Rewind the story. Uh, uh, you remember Balaam? But remember Balaam, yeah. the, talking, the talking donkey, right? Uh, the Israelites are coming in. They're, they're, they, they came out of Egypt, right? They wandered in the, in the desert for 40 years. They're about ready to come into the, to the nation. They knock off Sihon, uh, king of the, I believe, Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, or, or the other way around, I forget. But anyway, they knock off two pretty powerful kings. And the next guy on the menu is Balak, the king of Moab. And Balak, the king of Moab looks at all this, this mass of Israelite campers, <laughs> about three million of them, coming across the landscape, and he kind of flips out a little bit. And he notices, oh, by the way, they just conquered two, two kings that I know are pretty powerful. And so here's what I'm going to do. There happens to be this soothsayer guy named, named uh, Balaam. And Balaam... Uh, has this sort of thing he can do. Whoever he blesses gets blessed, and whoever he curses gets cursed. And many of you know the story. Uh, I'll try to spare some of the details, but Balaam, after going back and forth, and Balaam is a covetous man, by the way. Balaam wants the money that King Balak is, is offering him. That's the bottom line. That's all that's driving him. He wants the money. And so uh, he goes back. Uh, Balak, uh, the king, brings him. But Balaam says, I can only say, out of my mouth can only come what God, what God tells me. So he's kind of got this divided heart, right? right? Like he wants the money, but he can only come out of his, only what can come out of his mouth is what God says. So he opens, so Balak says, all right, just, here's what I want you to do. I want you to curse these people. And he opens his mouth, and out comes this great blessing of the nation of Israel, right? I paid for that, Right? <laughs> He says, all right, let's try it again. So like any good pagan, he kind of tries to, you know, a, maybe a higher place, maybe, you know, I don't know, some kind of ceremonial dance or something like that. Let's try it again. Blessings on God's people come out. Does this, I think, four times. Finally, the fourth time, I think, is, is prophetic for the end times in, the, in this nation. But anyway, that's another story. So, Balaam tells Balaam, Balaam still wants the money, right? Balaam tells Balak, tell you what, these people, their God is real. And you can't fight them like that. But I'll tell you a little thing I know about them. Their God is also holy and just. And you can destroy them from within. So here's what you do. You get your Moabite women and you get them to sort of engage the Moabite men uh, in 
unhealthy ways. And as that's going on, make sure the Moabite women bring out their, uh, their pagan objects, their pagan idols, and these men, frankly, in the heat of the moment, they'll worship anything. And you get them to worship these pagan deities in, the con- in this context, and guess what? That'll be pretty much the same as cursing them. And that happened at a place called Baal Peor. So when Hosea writes it, and so what happened? That's exactly what they did, and God brought a great punishment. Great plague came upon the nation of Israel during that time. And so God's saying, you know what? Just like those days in Baal Peor, right? This is going to be like now. And notice this. Can I tell you this? The capacity of a people or a nation or a civilization to self-destruct from the inside by sin may in fact, if, if that story is any, any historical warning for us, the, the capacity of a nation or a civilization or a society to melt down from within might be a greater threat than any foreign military threat. Could it be? Could it be that we could destroy ourselves? Every bit as much of a, a reality as some outside force can, can destroy us? A- again, please, I'm not making any prophetic statements. I'm just studying history, okay? I'm just studying history. But it's a lesson to be learned if we'll heed. Verse 11, as for Ephraim, their glory shall fly away like a bird. No birth, no pregnancy, and no conception. No, no proliferation of the people, if you will. Though they bring up their children, yet I will bereave them to the last man. Yes, woe to them when I depart from them. Just as I saw Ephraim like Tyre planted in a pleasant place, so Ephraim will bring out his children to the murderer. Give them, O Lord, what will you give? Give them a miscarrying womb and dry breasts. So they will uh, cease to proliferate as a nation, uh, just like the nation of Tyre did, which was also, uh, had been prosperous at one time. Verse 15, all their wickedness is in Gilgal. There, for there I hated them because of the evil of their deeds. I will drive them from my house. I will love them no more. All their princes are rebellious. Ephraim is stricken. Their root is dried up. They shall bear no fruit. Yes, they were... They, yes, were they to bear children, I would kill the darlings of their womb. My God will cast them away because they did not obey him, and they shall be wanderers among the nations. Those sound harsh words, sound like harsh words. But the reality is, Gilgal had become a place of idolatry. Again, a reference uh, here that he gives us from their, from their culture. God hated the sin that was represented by that place, right? And again, we've talked about in the past, uh, there's sort of God's relationship with us as individuals. There's God's relationship with nations. Uh, God loves every human being that's ever lived. So it says here, I, I, therefore I, for I, there I hated them, right? God hates what the nation is doing. God can love individuals. God does love individuals. God loves all individuals. Please don't miss that. God loves all individuals. But he sometimes hates the direction that a nation will go. Chapter 10. Israel empties the vine. He brings forth fruit for himself according to the multitude of his fruit. He has increased the altars according to the bounty of his land. They have embellished his sacred pillars. And so, uh, again, they take the blessings of God and they spend them, they, they kind of use them for their, for their idolatry. Again, something that should not be happening. Their heart is divided. Their heart is divided. Their heart is divided. Now they are held guilty. He will break down their pillars, er, their altars. He will ruin their sacred pillars. Can I tell you this? You know, again, they celebrated Jewish holidays. They celebrated the God of the Bible, but they also celebrated their pagan deities, right? When Jeroboam set up an altar in Bethel and an altar way up in Dan, up in the northern part, right? They still worship the God of the Bible. They just said, you know, this is, they didn't say this is not the God of the Bible. They just said, you know, this is an alternative for you. This is another option, right? And so 
their heart was divided. Can I encourage us today? It's possible, and I know it because I tried it for a while, thankfully a long time ago. It's possible to have a divided heart toward the Lord. Well, what does that look like? Well, it looks like, you know, deep down in my heart of hearts, I believe this God thing, sort of. But there's a lot of it I don't like. I don't like that you're reading about judgment. Can I just be honest? I don't like that, I'm, that we're reading about judgment. But I kind of like that. I, I kind of feel like God is there. Like I, like I know there's a God. Like I believe there's a God. And yet I don't like the judgment part. There's a lot of parts that are confusing to me. And there's a lot of parts of my life that... You know, I just don't want to uh, let go of. And so I find myself a little bit torn, frankly. There's a part of me that wants to, like, do right. And there's a part of me that loves taking good care of me. And I think it's very possible to live that way for a long, long time. I think it's possible to live your entire life like that. Can I just, if I could just graciously encourage us, that's a miserable state to be in. I don't, if, if you're in that state, I don't yell at you. Please, I don't want you to think I'm yelling at you. If you're in that state, I feel sorry for you. Because I think you don't fully realize or understand, and I'm talking to whoever might be listening somewhere. I think it's possible to live with a divided heart. I like the Lord. I like my life. And I know that these two don't quite fit together, but I'm trying to make them fit together. That's a miserable place to be. And can I just tell you this? I've tried it. And the life, so it's like I've tried both. I've tried the life I'm, the, the abundant life, and I've tried the divided heart life. And I'm not perfect, okay? Please hear me. I am not perfect. But I know what it's like to surrender to the Lord and say, you know what, Lord? I'm just going to trust you on this one. What, you know, you're telling me to go this direction and, it, and I really want to go this direction or it seems, it seems right in my own eyes to go this direction and you're telling me to go this direction and I know that you're saying to go this direction and it just seems uncertain. It seems vulnerable. It seems crazy. I don't know how it's going to work out. People are going to think I'm an idiot. I, I just, it just seems nuts. But can I tell you, every time I do that, I'm blessed beyond measure. And every time I try, I've tried to do this divided heart thing, it's, it's a disaster. It's an absolute formula for frustration. And I say that, I don't know everybody's situation in the room. I don't know everybody's situation that might be listening. But I just say that because my heart breaks for people with divided hearts. And I know they're out there. God wants to be your best friend. God wants to be your source of satisfaction. God wants to be everything you need. God even made it all available. He laid it out for us like a buffet line. And so often we go through and we say, I, I'll take a little bit of that and a little bit of me and a little bit of that 
and a little bit of me and a little bit of that and a little bit of me and we wonder why we're unhealthy. We scratch our heads why we're unhealthy. God would love to deliver us from a divided heart. For now they say we have no king because we do not fear the Lord. And as for a king, what would he do for us, right? So it's just, again, it's like those days in, it, in Judges. They had no king, no higher authority. Our society today is moving away from all truth, from all higher authority, right? You try to tell somebody that uh, they should do X, Y, Z because the Bible says so? Oh my gosh, can you imagine? Can you imagine? We need truth. We need to acknowledge a higher authority. Better yet, we need to live, live under that higher authority. And that's a place of protection. That's a place of, of, of blessing. They've, verse 4, they've spoken words, swearing falsely and making a covenant. The judgment, this, thus judgment springs up like a hemlock in, like hemlock in the furrows of the field. And so, uh, again, uh, a hallmark of a society like this is the lack of integrity. So judgment springs up. The idea that the, the, the Hebrew is lawsuits are abounding. Lawsuits are abounding. By the way, we're not going to get to chapter 11. So those of you who are nervous, you be honest with me. You be honest with me. You be honest with me. We're not going to do 11. Now you can listen. <laughs> I understand. Um, they have spoken words, swearing falsely and making a covenant. This judgment, thus, judgment springs up like hemlock in the furrows of a field. Another piece of, of, of a society like what we're describing, right? Lawsuits are everywhere. Why are lawsuits are everywhere? Because we have no integrity. What happens if a society just decides there's no absolute truth? Where's integrity there? It's gone. Integrity and schmeggerty. Who cares? It's gone. So then what do you have? You got people ripping each other off. And then what do you got to have? Lawsuits everywhere. If you're a young kid today, you want to grow up and, and go to law school? You think you'll be okay? You think you'll have a job? You think you'll have some job security in our society? Yeah, probably. Lawsuits spring up because integrity goes away. Verse 5. The inhabitants of Samaria fear because the calf of beth Aven, for its people mourn for it and its priests shriek for it because its glory has departed from it. The idol also shall be carried to Assyria as a present for King Jerob. Ephraim shall receive shame and Israel shall be ashamed of his own counsel. So uh, some say that King Jerob was another name for one of the Assyrian kings. Um, but the reality is Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel, by the way. When the kingdom was divided, Samaria was the capital of Israel. Jerusalem was the capital of Judah. And you recall when Jeroboam set that up, we talked about this uh, earlier. He sets up this, uh, an altar in, in Bethel, what was called Bethel, because Bethel, the name means house of God. God now calls it Beth-Avon because Beth-Avon means house of wickedness. They've changed house of God the, the, literally the location that's now, that was called House of God, he's now calling House of Wickedness. And so they put up these golden calves, and guess what? They were there for the duration of the northern kingdom of Israel until, by the way, the Assyrians come and they haul those calves away, right? And I love what Damien Kyle always says, if you have a God that can be carried away, you got the wrong God. If you have a God that you have to preserve if you have a God that you can create if you have a God that you're not sure if he's going to be there tomorrow or not you got the wrong God if you got a God that the enemy nation can come in and load up on their horses and carts and haul them away you got the wrong God as for Samaria, her king is cut off like a twig on the water. Also the high places of Avon, the sin of Israel, shall be destroyed. The thorn and thistle shall grow on their altars. They shall say to the mountains, cover us, and to the hills fall on us. So he's saying, you know, the Assyrians are going to come, 
The king is going to be like a twig on the water. How strong is a twig on the water? Not very. Soggy twig, not very strong, right? And when the people come, when the Assyrians come, the citizens of the, of the nation of Israel, they're going to say to the mountains, please cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. They're going to say, I wish I were dead. Because the torture of the Assyrians, the, the Assyrians were famous for their brutality. And so God says, judgment is coming. It's coming so harsh from the Assyrian nation that you're going to wish the mountains would just fall on you and put it, and put it all to an end. O Israel, you've sinned from the days of Gibeah. Again, a reference to that story in Judges 19. You've sinned since the, from the days of Gibeah. There they stood, the battle in Gibeah against the children of iniquity did not overtake them. When it is my desire, I will chasten them. Peoples shall be gathered against them. When I bind them for their two transgressions, Ephraim is a trained heifer that loves to thresh grain. But I harnessed her fair neck. I will make Ephraim like a plow. Judah shall plow. Jacob shall break his clods. And so again, another sort of word picture. We've seen several word pictures throughout these chapters. Uh, this is a word picture of, you know, if you're, a, if you're a heifer in those days, threshing grain was kind of a cush job, right? You walked around this threshing floor and you pulled sort of this, uh, you know, harrow thing, right? And you threshed the grain. It was a it was, you know, easy peasy for a heifer, right? But the, he's saying that's kind of what it's been like, but it's going to be more like the heifer gets yoked to another cow or ox or whatever, and now they've got to plow dry, hard dirt, and it's, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be good. Verse 12. Look at this in the midst of all this. Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. In the midst of all this seemingly harsh warning to the nation, I love this. God sticks this in the middle. This, what is it? It's an opportunity to repent. And again, this is available to anyone. If we find ourselves, you know, I don't really have a king like, you know, a higher authority. I don't really have a source of absolute truth. I'm kind of living a divided heart. I'm kind of doing my own thing. Sort of, you know what I'll do? I'll get around to following God sometime when I'm like old. Like in my 60s, right? I'm going to like follow God. I'll be serious about God then. But right now I'm just having my fun, Right? Well, number one, let me tell you this. Serving God is a lot more fun. I've tried both. Serving God's a lot more fun. But number two, we miss out on so much. And yet, He wants us to repent. He wants us to repent. And he gives us the opportunity. We're never outside of an opportunity to repent. Verse 13, we'll wrap up. You've plowed wickedness. You've reaped iniquity. You've eaten the fruit of lies because you trusted in your own way. In the, in the multitude of your mighty men, therefore tumult shall rise among your people. And all your fortresses shall be plundered, as Shalman plundered Beth Arbel in the day of battle, a mother dashed in pieces upon her children. Thus it shall be done to you, O Bethel, because of your great wickedness at the dawn. The king of Israel shall be cut off utterly. And so can I tell you this as we close? What we're talking about at this time in Israel's history, that Hosea has to write words this extreme warnings this harsh warnings that are frankly difficult for us to read thousands of years later I often ask myself sometimes when I f when you find yourself in a pickle or whatever or maybe as a society as a, in, a, in a pickle I often ask myself how did this start you ever do that or you get in a, whatever, a situation, you know. But just in the context of, let's just talk about the nation of Israel. 
and draw application for our lives today and for our society today. What we have here is it was like those days in, in, in Gibeah. It was horrible. The sin and the depravity and the moral decay was rotten to the core. And so you say, wow, how did, they, how did that start? Did people all wake up one day at the same time and say, we're just going to be like as anti-God as we can get? How did it start? Look at this. Because you trusted in your own way. Proverbs says the way of a fool, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes. Raise your hand if you usually think you're right on any given topic. We're going to talk about this in the marriage class tonight, by the way. So everybody will be a little more honest tonight. We always think we're right. Right? So how do we know we're not a fool? I'm just saying. The way of fools right in his own eyes. How do we know we're not a fool? There is an answer to that. Because this is my source of wisdom, my source of truth. If I think something that's consistent with this, it's, it's wise. If I th it's true. If I think something that's inconsistent with this, no matter how passionately I believe it, it's false. It's false. I don't care what my third grade teacher said. It's false. I don't care what my parents said. It's false. I don't care what the pastor said. If it's contrary to this, it's false. Because you trusted in your own way was the starting point, and the end point is the depravity that we're reading about this morning. Be careful. Be careful. Proverbs 3, and we'll close. You know what it means when a pastor says, in closing? Absolutely nothing. Except now. Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Another absolute statement. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. There's a reason that's a familiar proverb. But you know, there's a long time again, as I said. What I really wanted to do was trust in the Lord with most of my heart, some of my heart, the part of my heart that I don't really feel that strongly about. Doesn't work that way. It's a formula for frustration. God still loves us through that. God's grace is always there through that. But God wants more of a relationship with us than that. He didn't want religious service. That's what they offered to those cows at Bethel and Dan. That was religious service. He didn't want our religious service, those, those holidays. He didn't want us to say, well, I celebrate Christmas and Easter. He wants our lives. He wants to be our best friend. And he made it all available to us because he loves you. If at any time we get confused. Keep in mind, He loves you, and that drives everything. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank You for Your goodness. We thank You that You're just, and even though sometimes we don't fully understand that, and it seems, seems like a lot to go through, we know that Your purposes are good. We know that us trying to figure out the world doesn't work. We know that us trying to figure out even our own lives doesn't work. And yet, Lord, we know that you love us. For you so loved each and every one of us that you gave your only begotten Son so that whoever of us should believe in you we wouldn't have to perish so Lord help us to live undivided hearts toward you 
desiring all that you would have for a relationship with us. Lord, have your way with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, everybody. Awesome, awesome week.